Good morning. Good morning, City Church. If you'd like to find your seats again, we're going to make a start into God's Word. Just like to add my welcome to everybody else's. My name's Andy. I lead the team that leads the church here and, and our other sites up in Bradley Stoke. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here. Excited for this morning. Today's a very important day. Today is... Actually, there's two reasons why today's important. Today is, in fact, Penguin Awareness Day. Did you know that? Anyone aware of a penguin? It's not working then, is it, obviously? Why would you need... I don't understand that. Anyway, who decides these days? No idea. Today is, of course, for us, Vision Sunday. We're going to be talking about the things that God's put before us as a church. We tend to do this at the beginning of the academic year and then the beginning of the calendar year. And if you check your diaries, you'll find this is the beginning of the calendar year or close enough. That makes the difference. So we're going to be looking at the things that God's called us to together as a church. Now, you could say, well, isn't God calling all churches to do the same thing? And kind of broadly, yes. The church picks up the baton of the Great Commission there at the end of Matthew's Gospel and takes the Gospel everywhere. But God also puts churches in specific places and in specific times. And cities are different and towns and villages are different. So when God puts a church in a place, He also puts things in the heart of that church that that church would be something uh, specific for those around. And God's done that with us here in City Church. And as we brought these two churches together here and in Bradley Stoke in the last two or three years, God's been speaking to us and clarifying some of the things that God said in the past over this church and some things he's speaking to us about now. And so we've been working as elders and trustees and others praying and seeking God and mulling over praying through the prophecies of the past and asking God, what is it that you want us to do? What is our vision specifically here in City Church? What is it you want us to do? And so today is something of a culmination of those things, something of a, a boiling down into a concentrate of what God is asking of us. Uh, so we're going to do that in a moment. Just to first to say that we are a church of the Word and a church of the Spirit. Word and Spirit go hand in hand in the Bible. And we always have been that. That's who New Frontiers family of churches is. That's who the Commission family of churches is. That's who we are. That's who I am. That's who we are as an eldership team. That we believe in God's word as our firm foundation. That's, where we, that's how we know what God is saying fundamentally and primarily. That's how we discern actually the Spirit's gifts around us. What God says to us needs to line up with God's word. And we need to systematically teach God's word. And I believe that's what we do. That's certainly what we try to do here. That we teach through his word. We try not to leave out the difficult bits. Try to include all the hard, difficult things that we don't fully understand all of it. But we're going to teach it and believe that that does us good. And of course, we're also a church of the Spirit, and that means that God speaks to us by His Spirit. So God speaks through prophecy, and sometimes in a worship time, maybe today, God has spoken to us. And you're someone who said, I feel God is saying this. And then we, what we do then is we line that up with God's Word and say, is that, you know, how do we feel about that? Is that lined up with God's Word? And where it is, we embrace it. And where it's not, we let it fall away. And so we're a church of those two things. But more than that, in terms of being a church of the Spirit, God speaks to us and shapes us by his Holy Spirit. And that means we do things and we shape ourselves because he tells us to do it. And maybe in, in modern day Bristol, that sounds like a strange thing, but actually that's what God has done historically through his people, and that's what he still does today. You can hear God's voice 
and do what he tells you. That's the wonder of a relationship with the risen Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. So that's who we are fundamentally. But what about what God has said to us specifically? Well, let me read you a few verses from John's gospel. John chapter 7 and verse 37 to 39. Just a couple of verses there. And we're going to then unpack that to say, what is it that God's asking of us? So John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in him, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is declaring something. And he's doing it at a specific time in the history of Israel and at a specific time in the calendar year of Israel. And he's doing it absolutely on purpose. He completely knows what he's doing when he does this. It's not like he just had a whim and got up and said this loud. What does he say in a loud voice? Well, he did that because he wanted people to hear. He was declaring something. And actually what he was fundamentally declaring was the gospel himself. He was saying, come and believe in me. Believe in me, he said. And that is fundamentally the gospel. If you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, that is the call to you right now. Believe in Jesus. We can unashamedly say it because it's what he is saying here in John's gospel. Believe in me, he says. And if you believe in me, you have access to these incredible blessings. Imagine, you know, getting up in the Middle East and saying, is anyone thirsty? But like getting up in this room and saying to a bunch of new parents, is anyone tired? Or get up in front of a bunch of millennials and say, is anyone busy? And everyone's like, is anyone on Instagram? You know, it's like instantly everyone is listening. Yeah, yeah, of course I'm thirsty. This is where we live, of course I'm thirsty. And what Jesus does time and again is he calls people, as it were, into the shallow end. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. And then, of course, what he does amazingly is he introduces ideas with depth and breadth and richness that you need to be in to hear and to understand. And that's what Jesus is doing again here. He does that in the parables, of course. Jesus gets up and says uh, to a bunch of farmers, a farmer had two sons. And everyone's like, yeah, oh, cool, I'm in. That's like me. And then he explains what he means in his parables. And he's doing it again here. And actually what he's doing here, he's, he's, quote, he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah 55. He's quoting uh, what the theologians call us is a suffering servant song from Isaiah 55. These are kind of ancient prophecies that Israel would have uh, held very close in its heart. And the suffering servant later was recognized. Well, that was Jesus. That was a prophecy about Jesus. You're telling us about Jesus. And Jesus is getting up in this festival, in this celebration, saying, it's me, I'm here. All the things that you hope for, everything, the culmination of all that you've believed for all these centuries. It's me. I'm the one. And of course, then he goes on to explain more what he means. Let's read a bit more of that prophecy that Jesus was referring to back in Isaiah 55, because that's what would have been in the minds of those who heard Jesus say what he said in John in a loud voice. Come all who are thirsty, Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come if you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, come without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good 
and you will delight with the richest of food. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. That was the promises that hung over Israel historically. They knew that that's what God was like and they were longing to experience more of it. And year by year, as their, as their kind of calendar year and the festivals went through, they reminded themselves of these things. This is what God is like. These are the promises of God. And now Jesus stands up and says, it's about me. I'm the one that all of this was pointing to. And he says, come and drink. And he doesn't just say, well, you'll get your thirst quenched. He says, out of you will pour rivers of living water. Incredible promise. It's not just, well, it's nice that I'm not thirsty anymore. Or at least I'm not tired now. Maybe that's how we might think about it. I'm not th- no, it's actually you're going to be a source for others too. That's always the way with God. There's more than enough for you. There's more than enough to satisfy you. It's for those beyond you and around you. That's the same for us as a church. It's exactly the same for us. And that's something of the depth that Jesus is inviting the listener into as he gets up in this festival and calls out in a loud voice, come, come to me and drink. He's saying all that history, all that we went through, all that the nation has come through for all these centuries now is about to be fulfilled. It's me, come to me. And as a church, we need to be doing that, calling people to faith, not just teaching people about Jesus. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's a a very good thing, actually. But there's more in what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, believe. Come and believe. Come and be a believer. Call in, put your faith in Jesus. Must be the call from us. It says he spoke this in a loud voice, and it was near the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we need to just look briefly at what that is. So the Feast of the Tabernacles was the final feast of the year. And the day that Jesus got up and said this was the last day of the last festival of the year. So this was the greatest day of the greatest festival of the whole year. Uh, there was a lot of festivals in the Jewish calendar. They had a, a wild old time, actually. And, and in, the, in, the, in the festival of the tabernacles, what they would do is build themselves a little booth. And they would all come to Jerusalem, build themselves booths all around the city, and then live inside it for eight days. So a small little thing and stay inside it. And it was a reminder, uh, kind of brought to memory, the years that they spent traveling through the desert on their way from Egypt to Canaan. As God was promising them um, a land of their own, they traveled through the desert and they had to camp in tents. And God provided food and water for them. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was a yearly reminder of all that God had done. So that's what they were doing. And for seven days during that festival, imagine... Imagine a city full of little tiny tents everywhere and people living in them and there's a lot of celebrating and feasting going on. But for, this, for seven days of this eight-day festival, the priests would take jugs and go down to the pool of Siloam and fill them with water. And then the, the, the priests would process through the streets, imagine the winding streets of Jerusalem with these jugs of water coming to the temple and then pour the water out into the temple and the temple would flow out into the streets. And as they did that, there was great rejoicing, a great shout of praise would go up from the people. And they would say, do you remember when we were so thirsty in the desert and God provided time and again water for hundreds of thousands of people? Do you remember that miracle? Do you remember how amazing it was? Do you remember how it got us to the promised land? Do you remember how God provided again and again and again? And they would celebrate this. And that's what the festival was, to celebrate this year by year by year. (coughs) On the last day, on the eighth day, the greatest day of the festival, the priests didn't do that anymore. They didn't take the jugs to the pool and bring the water through 
and pour it out in the streets. And that was a symbol too. That was symbolic that now that was in the past. Now we are living in this land that God has provided for us. Now it's all around us. The truth of God's provision is everywhere to be seen. And so it was the greatest day of the feast. So no water poured out on that day. And on that day and in that moment, Jesus gets up and says, is anyone thirsty? After all of those symbolic moments over that week, he says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink from me. It's not symbolic anymore. It's now, it's real. It's something that you can grasp. And he says, the access to all the goodness of God is through what? It's through belief in Jesus. He says, come to me and believe. And all that is, was symbolic for them, all that was remembering hundreds of years before is now and here and real. You can come to me now and believe. And you have access to this water that won't run out, to food like you could never afford. Of course, all of that is metaphors for confidence uh, and understanding of God, a sense of purpose, a sense of being loved, a sense of being called by God, a sense of order in your life, a sense of rightness in the community, of peace, of shalom. God's saying, come and drink of me, says Jesus. He's calling the thirsty and hungry to buy freely what they could never afford. Yet the food and the drink, this ancient provision is God himself, offering himself to the people freely. And that's the gospel that we hold out to those around us. So how do we as a church help people to believe, to open that door of belief, to step over the line of faith, as it were, to enter the blessing that God has for them and for us. Of course, we could just say, we could sort of maybe quote somewhere in Ephesians and say, well, faith's a gift, so thank you, God. We'll just wait and God, God will do it somehow, maybe. And sadly, churches throughout the years have done something like that. It's like, well, God does it. You know, he'll do his own thing. That's nice. But that isn't historically where God is calling the church. Listen to this carefully. The church should be a community that when observed prompts the observer to seriously consider believing in Jesus as a reasonable option. We need to make belief in Jesus seem reasonable. Do you know what I mean? It's got to look like something and, and sound like something. It can't just be an ethereal, well, come and believe in Jesus. It needs to kind of have boots, as it were. It needs to land somewhere. It needs to take hold and so in our lives, that we would demonstrate something to a watching world. And how a church does this is, is how we love, for instance. How we love each other is a demonstration of Jesus in the midst of his people. How you love one another, how you give to one another secretly around the church, how you care for each other, how you, how you pray for one another, how you give, how you forgive a community of people that are quick to forgive each other, not holding grudges, quick to forgive. Why? Because it's what God is like. And we're here to demonstrate, to hold out that word of life to those around us. How we, how we serve, how you serve each other, how you serve the city, how we worship, that we worship a God that we believe in. We don't just thread words through our eyes or just kind of somehow summon up some happiness on a Sunday morning, that we worship from a, a heart that's full of the Spirit of God, in spirit and in truth, as the Bible says. That demonstrates something of God to those who watch. 
how we pray, that we would pray, I would say like we meant it, but pray because we mean it. I had a, I guess we all did, I had a grandfather um, uh, who died many years ago, and he was a farmer, and he used to, uh, my dad would visit him as he got older into his 80s and 90s, and he would, uh, by the time my dad got to visit him at sort of eight in the morning, he would have been on his second breakfast. So he wasn't a hobbit, he was just a farmer. And so he was, on, he was on his second breakfast by then. And dad would meet him and pray with him. And sometimes I would go with him as a youngster. And, uh, and my, my granddad would be lying on a couch or something as he got older. And so we would pray with him. I remember once he said, he said to me, oh, you, you prayed that like you meant it. And uh, he was a believer, so I don't know what he, how he was used to praying. But I said, well, I did mean it. I do mean it. How we pray has an effect on the people who hear us pray. It, it, like we believe something. Like it's unusual. Don't we just read prayers? No, we pray to a God that we know, who knows us. And that, has, that tells a story. We worship a God that we know that we've experienced. That tells a story. And as a church, we're committed to those things. All of these things and many other things besides should provoke unexpected joy in the observer pointing to faith in Jesus, pointing to belief in Jesus. Would it be great to be a church of people that provoked unexpected joy in people who come amongst us? What a story we have to tell. So just over 20 years ago, a group of young people came here from, to Bristol from uh, different parts of the country, some from Brighton, some from other places, with a heart to put a church, to build a church here amongst the many other excellent churches here that would join with them and preach something of who Jesus is to all of this city. And they came with, a, with hearts full of faith, hearts that said, I believe that if we preach Jesus, people will believe and will gather a community that can do this here and beyond. And as that church grew, God spoke to the church. And there are many prophetic words, as it were, prophecies over this church throughout the years that are specific to this church. I want to read just one of them to you from 2005. To some of us, 2005 doesn't seem very long ago. And to others, it's more than a lifetime. So there you go. Just enough said. Let me read this to you. I think it should be here, appear behind me. This was Adam Heaton in April 2015. Uh, Oh, five. I saw a picture of three water worlds. The first world had the words John Wesley written across it, the second, George Muller, and the third, George Whitfield. All three wells were blocked and capped with concrete. Later, I was reminded of, a story, of the story of Isaac opening the wells of his father Abraham and how that was also contested. I had no insight as to how the wells should be opened, only that they must. I felt that John Wesley was significant because he was a true master builder and the opening the well of uh, which uh, spoke of restoration of the apostolic ministry in Bristol and beyond. I understood that George Muller's well to speak of faith and in particular I felt it was significant in terms of faith for the provision of buildings. Yes Lord. George Whitfield uh, well speaks of a voice raised in the marketplace, a loud trumpet blast going out from the church to the city I felt it spoke of the restoration of mass evangelism in the church and the city. I was reminded of a scene where Whitfield spoke to 10,000 miners in Bristol. And God spoke that into the heart of this church. We believe that. Now, when we, if, we, if we're going to be a church of the word and the church of the spirit, we need to shape ourselves in line with 
prophecies like that. We need to do work on how we organize ourselves so that we're lining ourselves with, up with the things that God's telling us to do. So I want to spend the next few minutes, the rest of this message this morning, just saying this is how we're going to do that. Not just for that prophecy, but for the many others like it. And for the call of God to take the gospel everywhere. And the first thing, the first is three R's that will help. You know, I'm so organized, obviously, as a preacher that, you know, this is always the way I do things. <laughs> three R's. First is that we reach the city with the gospel. We are going to be a church, we are to be a church that reaches the city with the gospel, reaching the whole of Bristol with the gospel. You know what Bristol is like. It is full of diverse communities of people, pockets of people here, there, and everywhere, all very different, very happy to kind of live near each other, but also happy to be different. And if we're going to reach all of them with the gospel as City Church, we need to shape the gospel slightly differently for each one for each area, that we need to be happy to reflect something of the community while holding the word of life out to them with clarity. Both those things go together, and that's what we are to be. So, so City Church will be a large and diverse church with sites in different parts of the city, each site looking slightly different from each other's site. So I've just come down from Bradley Stoke uh, this morning, and their, their, their site looks a bit different from this one because it's a different community, and it should be different. And so when we plant a church or we plant a site into fish ponds uh, in a while, a little while's time, as that forms together, that looks a bit different than this one. And that's good because we want to reach that part of the city with the gospel. It's not just for us, it's for the city. So we shape ourselves for them and we are sharp in the gospel in everything that we do, everything we do, bringing a sharp gospel edge to all that we are and all that we do together. Believing that if we hold the word of life out, people will come to faith in Jesus. We need to believe that. We are, brothers and sisters, believers. We're people who believe something. We believe that a man rose to life. And we are, our call is to call others to that faith in Jesus. And all the benefits and blessings that Jesus was referring to when he got up and shouted loudly, come and believe in me. So we need to be clear and sharp in the gospel. Uh, our meetings need to be full of the Spirit's presence and accessible to those who don't know Jesus yet. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. So both full of the life of God and also accessible. And you can do both of those things. Now, many people's stories of coming to faith would have something like that in them. Is that they came to a meeting, maybe a bit like this one, and uh, the people were worshipping. And, and what was that, by the way? What happened? And what they're doing is they're saying, I, I recognize something that I don't yet understand was going on there. And they're saying, well, they don't know the, the language, but they're saying, I, I encountered the presence of God. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people, and people sometimes recognize that. And then what do we do? We say, now believe in this Jesus. Put your faith, put your heart, your hope in him. We want to be better at calling people to faith, better at it in our meetings, more frequent as we seek to hold out this word of life to reach this whole city. God's people have always known that they were called to mission, that they were an apostolic people. That's what missionary and apostle, it's really the same word, that we are called to go, to take the gospel with us and go into all the world. I'll read this to you from Philippians 2. It's from the message Translation, provide people, says Paul, 
with a glimpse of good living and of the living God, carry the light-giving message into the night. That's what you're called to, brothers and sisters. Carry the life-giving, the light-giving message into the night of Bristol. Carry it. That's what you're called to do. And we need to do that corporately together when we meet, to believe we're holding that light out. We're shining like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God's calling us to do it. So we're called to reach. We're called to, to restore. Restoring broken lives and serving the city. The gospel is good news to the poor. It should look like it. It's supposed to look like what it is. It's good news to the poor. And the poor come in all shapes and sizes. The poor come dressed like rich people. The poor come sometimes with lots of money. And they're poor in all kinds of ways. They're, they're poverty of relationship. They're poverty in spirit. But poor come in all kinds of guises. And poor come sometimes, of course, looking like traditionally we might think a poor person in our terms might look. We need to be a church which reaches and restores all of those things. The restorate, restoring work of Jesus is to be part of who we are and part of what we do. Jesus, of course, speaking and doing went hand in glove. Those two things go together. There's no difference. And as, if you read um, the book of James, you realize that's true. Uh, you can't say, well, I talk about it, and someone else says, well, I kind of do it. No, you've got to go together. Doing and speaking are one with Jesus. It's what, how Jesus lived his life. He didn't just kind of preach a gospel and say, no, be nice to people, and then go off in his private jet and live in you know, some enclave somewhere. No, he was with the people. He got, as it were, according to the phrase, he got down and dirty with everyone, with the people that no one else wanted to be with, with people who were outcasts of his particular society. And he said, come and know the blessings of this God. Come drink the same water that everyone else gets to drink. Come and know the living God. And we're to be a church that seeks to restore. Jesus said this in Luke 4, again, quoting Isaiah again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what we need to do. And again, the church through history has accepted this mandate to serve, especially those caught in particular need and we need to do this with compassion and competence, or to borrow a phrase, thank you very much, Peter Sue Linden, competent compassion. A church that does compassion competently. As Christians, so often we can feel like, well, I'll give, my, I'll give my fiver, I'll do my bit. And sometimes incompetent compassion can do more harm than good. And so the church needs to be better organized than that, to be more competent in how it does its compassion to be careful in how it helps people, to be thoughtful in how it organizes its programs. It needs to do that with care and prayer and thought so that it is genuinely good news to people who come into contact with it. That's very important we get that right. That takes a long time, a lot of organizing, quite a lot of money. But that's our call, to be a restoring church, to bring the kingdom of restoration to those in Bristol that God brings across our path. God's been giving us many opportunities to do that in the last year, and many more are on the way. So whether that be street life, whether that 
uh, whether that be city hands or all kinds of other things, the winter night shelter, all sorts of things that you could get involved with right now that would mean you were part of what God's called us to corporately in your own life and your time. Just this quote from Isaiah 58. If you spend yourselves, is 58 verse 10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Spend yourself on behalf of the needy, says Jesus. Spend yourself, says the Bible. Spend yourself. Sign up. You can do it now, right now. You can do it immediately. No need to wait. So I encourage you to get involved with what God is calling us to in terms of restoration. It's going to require change. It's going to require a culture of serving that costs us and challenges us to do things maybe a bit differently, even on a Sunday, so that we're accessible, that people get what we're trying to say and not that we just are kind of an echo chamber to ourselves. The third thing, the final thing that God has called us to broadly is to be a resource, that we would resource sites and cities, making disciples and training leaders. That's the church God's calling us to be, to resource others. Jesus' model was to replicate, to replicate who he was in those around him and to make disciples who would then go and make other disciples. It's a really important part of God's kind of commissioning of his disciples, would go and make others like you and like I've done in you, go and do that with others. And of course that also spills into churches. Go and plant churches that will plant other churches. Go plant sites that will plant other sites. That's how it works. It's never like that's enough because there's a whole world to be reached. That's why Jesus says, there's water for you, but there's more for others too. So our expectation is, as God fills us up, it overflows and goes beyond where we're at right now. So we're to be a church that plants uh, sites and, uh, and plants churches in other cities. Sites and cities, there's a phrase that might help us. And we were to raise leaders that are competent to do that and ready to do that, recognizing God's call on them specifically to do that. But actually beyond that too, because we're to raise leaders for the community, for the businesses, for the institutions of Bristol, so that people who believe in Jesus are permeating through every layer of society around us, bringing gospel change, bringing this blessing to those all around them. But as God blesses us, that we would share our blessings with others. And that might be financially, it might be the experiences God gives us. It could be specific people who go. And listen, we should be prepared to send our very best. So when the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved, what did he do? He sent the best. He sent his own son. He sent his very best, and we would be like him. So we should be prepared for the, the genuine heartbreak of sending dear ones to do this in other places, to do this in other parts of the city and in other cities, maybe a bit like Bristol. So I want to commend those things to you, those three things, that we will be a church that has a gospel reach and a sharp gospel edge, a church that seeks to restore something of the brokenness of Bristol. And actually, just thinking about that, Bristol is full of restoration, isn't it? You drive down any road and someone individually is restoring a house or some building's got scaffolding around it, and so Bristol knows all about restoring, but that's all often external. God says, I want to restore people. I want to store people who are broken, where the facade still stands, 
but behind there's nothing left. And God says, I get in behind and make something wonderful out of what is broken. That's what God loves to do. We're to be that kind of church, a church that restores and a church that resources. What we always also wanted to do was to say, well, it's hard to say all those things every time. And, you know, it takes a while to say all those things every time. So can we find a phrase that you could put those things inside that would kind of sum those things up in a way that we could uh, simply remember and might remind us of some of the things that God's calling us to be and to do. And so we've had a go at that. And so what we want to commend to you today is to say we want to be City Church, helping Bristol believe. That's what we want to do, a church, City Church, helping Bristol believe. And I think inside of helping Bristol believe, you can see all those things, find space for all those things to have a home. And that we would not just say, well, that's all great, we've got a phrase now, we've got some words that help us. No, we need to do these things. And as we've put together the programs of Connect Groups and the training tracks that go with that, and our pastoral teams, and our alphas, and we're beginning to say, let's shape ourselves like this, that we're doing the things that we're saying and believing. So how would you respond? How might you respond? Well, you could invite someone to Alpha immediately. In a couple of weeks' time, Alpha starts. You could just invite someone, go and join them. Bring someone to Alpha. You could sign up for a connect group. If you haven't done that yet, please sign up for a connect group. Shameless plug. Uh, the DLs and the Cottingham's, we're running a uh, kind of step into leadership group. So if you're wondering what does it mean to lead in a church, come and find out. Sign up for our group. You could join a street, uh, the Street Life team and serve people that are living on the streets every week, every Saturday night here in Bristol. You could uh, sign up to help a City Hands project and immediately go and help someone who needs our help and assistance. You can support the Winter Night Shelter that starts uh, this term and be part of, uh, amongst many churches in the city that are providing a night's sleep and food and some, someone to talk to for people who are living on the streets of Bristol. You could give financially. You could sign up to one of the serving teams which are part of this church. There are so many ways to respond, to be part of God's vision, God's call on us together. But maybe the best thing we can do is just stand right now and pray. And while I'm doing that, the band are going to come back and help us. Let's stand together. Let's just raise our hands. I want to shut your eyes and respond to God. Father, we ask for your help. Lord, you set before us something that we know we can't do on our own. Lord, we know we can't. It's not like a discussion. We know we can't do it. But with you, all things are possible. Lord, we know that you call things that are not as though they were. You speak into life and it happens. And Lord Jesus, I thank you, you've spoken these things to us. Now, Lord God, breathe life into them, Lord Jesus. Yes. Lord, we remember that kind of ancient picture from Ezekiel, and we say, yes, we believe these dry bones, they can live. And behold, a mighty army was stood before them. Lord Jesus, we ask it in the name and in the power of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.